My name is Raj Mirotra. I'm the editor-in-chief for the Clinical Journal of the American Society of Nephrology. I'm here with Jordan Nestor. She is the second prize winner of the Trainee of the Year Award from C. Jason for the year 2020. Um, Jordan, can you briefly introduce yourself to the C. Jason audience? Yes, thank you for this opportunity. My name is Jordan Nestor. I'm an instructor of medicine at Columbia University. In 2016, I completed my first year of nephrology fellowship, and I was able to join my mentor's laboratory, Dr. Ali Garavi. I spent four years there as a postdoc. I learned about molecular genomics and hereditary nephropathies. My research focuses on implementation of genomic data in order to deliver more personalized nephrology care, but also to increase nephrologist engagement in our precision medicine initiatives. So what sparked your interest in patient-centered research in genetics as it relates to kidney disease? So prior to attending medical school, I worked in an inner-city emergency department recruiting patients. It was the, they were for studies relating to health disparities, and overwhelmingly the patients I saw were black and Latino, mostly Spanish-speaking Latino patients. Who These patients were presenting to emergency departments for care, and most of them were disenfranchised, chronically ill patients. And so I was able to see there how research was really intended to advance their medical care, and it's when I wanted to become a physician scientist. Then when I was at Einstein as a medical student, I had the opportunity to follow these dialysis patients. Most of them, again, um, they were black and African-American and Latino patients, but most of them had family histories of kidney disease. And because I was able to follow them for so long and see that their families were also, it wasn't their just their burden, but their family were also burdened by their illness. That coincided with APOLO1 risk variants being discovered in around 2010, and it was the first time that it really sparked my interest in how genetic factors may contribute to disproportionately higher rates of kidney disease among black and African-American and Latino patients, especially like Afro-Latino patients. And before that, it was more about socioeconomic factors that may contribute to that, but now it was all about the genetic contributions. That it's really what also led me to want to come to Columbia so that I can join Dr. Garavi's laboratory. So what's the gap in your knowledge, in our knowledge, that you hope to bridge with your work? Emily Groupman from our laboratory completed a large exome study, and it, after that work was completed, it became clear that the next step was for us to notify nephrologists and their patients who had undergone exome sequencing through our biobank and were found to have potentially medically actual genetic findings. But at the time, there were no guidelines for how to return results to nephrology patients, how to recontact participants from a biobank, how to confirm research level findings, um, clinically confirm those findings, or how to communicate those findings to patients and to their providers. And so we set out to develop a pilot line to return actionable results to nephrology biobank participants. What were your key findings? After we decided that we would return primary diagnostic findings in genes that were associated with kidney phenotypes and for patients who had clinical phenotypes that matched um, the described phenotype of that genetic disorder and also decided that we would return medically actionable genetic findings in genes that the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics recommend for return as medically actionable. We then return, we, we approached our clinical faculty about returning them to our nephrology patients, but they were initially very apprehensive about it. And through qualitative interviews, we 
identified what some of their concerns were, and there were specific informational workflow needs that we first had to address sufficiently to get their buy-in so that they could help us in these efforts. And one of the things we had to do in this project was to designate a point person, a liaison, who was me, to do the entire return of results effort, liaise, liaise between faculty, scientists, patients. And what we also did was we developed an educational curriculum to help faculty and participants with certain knowledge gaps that relate to genomics. We held regular case conferences where we had um, cases that described core genomic concepts for faculty, scientists, medical students, residents, fellows. We formalized pre- and post-test genetic counseling sessions for our patients, and then we developed these easy-to-follow, easy-to-digestible nephrogenetic consultation notes that highlighted for the provider these next steps in management. And it was easy for them to follow who then they should refer patients to and how then to communicate the results to their patients. So your work so far is focused on monogenic diseases. What work remains to be done, if any, before we can contemplate returning genetic results for, say, APOL1, for polygenic diseases? So I believe nephrologists will increasingly be called upon to act to act upon patients who present with these genomic findings. And whether it's, for example, a transplant provider who's ordered APOL1 testing for someone they think to be at high risk as a potential living donor, or if it's a nephrologist who encountered someone um, with maybe unsolicited genomic findings, pharmacogenomic findings in the EHR, a polygenic risk score that's presented to them in the EHR, or even if they sought testing for suspected monogenic nephropathy and now have a diagnostic or a non-diagnostic finding, how then they can, they may, they may feel quite uneasy applying that information to their patient's care. So we need to identify what their informational and workflow needs are so that nephrologists encountering genomic data across a, you know, a wide array of practice settings um, can know what to do and feel comfortable doing it so we can empower them. And I think we have to do this through formal needs assessments before we can go forward with greater efforts of electronic health record integration of genomic information and these larger precision medicine initiatives. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How does your work in kidney disease fit in the larger body of work outside nephrology in returning genetic results to patients? So unlike pediatric oncology and maybe neurology, which are fields that utilize genetic testing more routinely in their clinical evaluations, broader uses of clinical genomics is still pretty new in medicine and subspecialties in medicine. And as we know from our study, the lack of expertise in genomics can impede a nephrologist's use of the genomic data. And because physicians' exposure to education in genomics may be variable, minimal, non-existent, most providers across different subspecialties may also feel ill-equipped to utilize genetic data to inform their patients' care. Unfortunately, there's also this critical shortage of genetic professionals to assist providers using genetic information for personalized medicine. And so our efforts to characterize nephrologist needs and make relevant interventions that support their medical decision-making, I would assume would be of value for physicians in fields outside of nephrology. What are the next steps in your research, or, or more broadly for the field? 
I think de developing bioinformatics solutions that address knowledge gaps in genomics are that are readily available at the point of care and are adaptable across diverse clinical settings are the next steps in operationalizing broader use of genomic data to inform clinical care. We're currently working on assessing providers' educational needs to guide the development of these tailored clinical decision support tools that will be embedded in the electronic health record that address specific knowledge gaps and promote responsible use of clin clinically valid genomic data for patient care. I was also awarded an Institutional Career Development Award that will allow me to gain more expertise in biomedical informatics and continue to build upon earlier work where I've developed electronic health record-based decision support tools specifically intended to guide non-genomic experts managing patients who come across these unsolicited genetic findings um, or genetic diagnoses in participants that either participated in research or come to them with new genetic information, maybe from a third-party um, commercial laboratory, um, which we increasingly see now with patients undergoing sequencing through 23andMe hereditary doc um, and hereditary um, ethnicity um, services. Congratulations, Jordan, again. What words of advice or wisdom do you have for people that are contemplating or just starting their research training with a focus in kidney diseases? So even though I'm very early in my research career, it took me many years to get to this point professionally. I was a non-traditional student, and it took me five years to finally be able to go to medical school. And I just completed 12 years of medical education and training, which happened, of course, during a pandemic, which has led to me being very reflective of this point of my career. And I believe at this point, what has gotten me to this stage has been a focus on service. So I advise all students and trainees whenever I speak to them to decide what it is they want, write it down, make a plan, and work on it every day. I was inspired to work towards advancing the care of marginalized patients because I witnessed the higher burden of chronic illnesses and, the, and learned about the worst health outcomes endured by individuals in underrepresented communities. And that seemed plainly unjust to me. And I believe it was my desire to improve the lives of nephrology patients that helped me ambitiously pursue Dr. Garavi as my research mentor. And I think until now has kept my training and research-focused pursuits um, in line with my overall professional purpose. I think that if I didn't have this, I would have been limited by personal insecurities and fear of failure. And this focus is what helped me shake off some of the earlier challenges and setbacks I faced in pursuing a research career. And so I, because I strongly believe that research is how we will advance the care and improve the lives of patients with kidney disease, our field needs more people to serve patients through research careers. And so I'm always available to help any early um, trainee medical student, resident fellow who is interested in pursuing a research career to just talk about it if they feel that it's something they're interested in and don't even know where to start. I didn't know where to start, but I may have some advice that I can offer, so I encourage you to reach out to me because I'd be more than happy to help. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency 
or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.